0: hello and welcome to in the kitchen with brett thorne a food service industry podcast by nations restaurant news and restaurant hospitality i'm your host senior food and beverage editor brett thorne wishing you a happy filipino american history month that's what october is among many other things Uh, and i am celebrating by interviewing a delightful filipino american by the name of billy deck uh, whose mother is Filipina and whose father uh, is of some sort of East European extraction, I honestly don't know what, but that's, that's why his last name is Deck and not something that sounds more Filipino. Uh, you might have noticed they said Filipina and Filipino, which, you know, that, that sort of phrasing works the same way uh, that Hispanic terminology works. Latino, Latina, Latinx, if you want to include both without specifying a gender, you can do that. But there's something a little bit quirky about the way people and things from the Philippines are described in English. And I want to talk about it very briefly, because I know you don't care that much. But I'm an editor, so I care a little bit. Uh, I used to work for a regional Asian newspaper based in Bangkok called Asia Times. It lasted for about a year and a half in the mid-90s until the economy of Southeast Asia collapsed. But we had serious naming protocols and and use of terminology because we had to refer to a bunch of very disparate countries and we had to know how to politely refer to everyone and everything in them. We had a multicultural staff, uh, including uh, several Filipinos, So if we got it wrong, I think they would have told us, even though they were very polite people and they might have said, well, it's fine. Uh, At any rate, if you are describing somebody from the Philippines, that is a Filipino or a Filipina, spelled with an F. However, things that are from the Philippines, such as, I don't know, fruit, cabinet, whatever, from the Philippines, that is described as Philippine with a PH. So for example, although the cuisine now in the United States is called Filipino cuisine, I've been trying and failing and admitting this failure uh, to refer to the cuisine as Philippine cuisine because grammatically that is correct. Again, the people are Filipino, or Filipina. I haven't seen X, but maybe maybe that's a thing, and if people want to be referred to that way, obviously, I'm happy to oblige. Um, at any rate, the cuisine should be referred to as Philippine, in my opinion, and if you disagree strongly, email me or contact me via social media. You can find me. Just Google me. It comes right up. Uh, Philippine cuisine actually has an interesting kind of position in the United States. It's been trending a little bit, but not compared to uh, other Asian cuisines such as Thai, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, uh, Chinese obviously, but Chinese is already a very well-established cuisine in the United States. And this kind of, it's interesting and it illustrates how It's the way that cuisines become trendy is complex. Often people will say, well, you know, the immigrants come and they bring their own cuisine. And so then it becomes popular. And sometimes that's true uh, with say Italian cuisine, a lot of Italian Americans, uh, but it's not like Irish cuisine ever got super trendy. I mean, it's sort of embedded in the culture of Irish Americans, but... People never went out and said, let's go have Irish food, except maybe on the days right around St. Patrick's Day. Uh, And and compared to those more uh, popular cuisines, there are a lot more Filipinos. See what I did there? Filipinos in the United States, according to the latest US ANSA data, there were 4.4 million Filipino Americans in the United States. That compares to about 300,000 Thai people Uh, 419,000 Japanese, 2.3 million Vietnamese, just under 2 million Koreans. There are a lot of Chinese people in the United States, uh, just as there are a lot of Chinese people uh, everywhere, pretty much. uh, There are 5.2 million Chinese, but if you compare that to the Philippine population, again, Philippine-American in the United States, 4.4 million, and I realize I just messed up. I should have said Filipino-American and not Philippine-American language is hard. Um, there's a lot more Chinese food than Filipino food in the United States, uh, and a lot more Thai and Japanese and Korean food. So, uh, my point is simply that the way that different cuisines become popular in the United States, uh, is complicated and nuanced. And, uh, Billy Deck is certainly working to, uh, expand the profile of Philippine cuisine uh, with his restaurant, Sunda New Asian, uh, which is expanding. Uh, Recently opened in Tampa, a market that uh, Billy Deck is very enthusiastic about. Uh, I talked to him in Nashville, where there's also a Sunda New Asian, and he seems to be really enjoying spending time in that city. Most of his career has been in Chicago, but he's now becoming a a multi-city restaurant magnate uh, with a lot to say and a lot of observations about who we are and where we're going. And he also has a documentary coming out about his own heritage. It's called Food Roots, and it traces his travel, uh, and search for his culinary origins throughout the Philippine islands. And that's enough hearing from me and my own semantics and issues with pronunciation and and classification of things from the Philippines. Uh, I would like you now please to uh, enjoy my interview with Mr. Billy Tech. Is that a real background that you're that I'm seeing, or or are you in Chicago?
1: <laughs> um, it is a real background. Uh, it's it's a it's a studio that I built um, in the back of my house. To uh, it's really cool. It's kind of a mess here, but like I can show you. Um, well, first of all, these are really cool mats from the islands of the Philippines that we kind of grew up taking naps on, and I put them on the ceiling um which is kind of cool and then i built like this kind of show kitchen it's still being built um so that i can do uh cooking segments from home because um you know i used to have to like when we used to have dinner uh, lunch you know when i was in new york uh doing the today show and stuff like that um it was awesome but uh nowadays i don't always have to leave (laughs) and so i could just do it from here which is uh you know kind of cool but then it you know i don't always get to I don't always get to see people like you so this is good that we get to catch up
0: yes it's nice and and what about all those beautiful trees and stuff in the background
1: yeah so so, sort of- uh, so i'm in nashville and um oh. there are uh it's one of the things i fell in love with because i born and raised in the city of chicago literally downtown never had a yard always on the cement and when we came out here to open up sunda which we opened 15 years ago in chicago uh about eight years ago we moved uh we expanded the concept to nashville seven and a half years ago and i just fell in love with um all the the green and 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 just sort of (laughs) there's literally animals walking by um it was just sort of like this cool different type of uh almost like a sanctuary and i was able to take the 55 minute flight to chicago uh and be there at any time and then when COVID happened it was like super normal to be able to um commute and and sort of work from a different place. so um so yeah, so we're here and then now we're moving uh well we're not physically moving, but we're opening properties um south. So now I'm sort of strategically located in the middle
0: so you are the owner of of you've been the owner of many things currently Sunda New Asian. Yes. Probably other stuff too, right? What what else do you have going on in your life, Billy Deck? A- apart from oh, your yeah. movie. Oh.
1: Yeah. So Sunday New Asian is uh the restaurant concept that we have been expanding. I still have the Underground Cocktail Club, which is uh sort of a play in a 1920s uh Speakeasy cocktail club, which is very cool in Chicago. And we're opening up in Nashville in March um, with like a really cool food and beverage menu in the historic printer's alley, which is the original Broadway, which is amazing. So that's happening in about March. And then we have this really cool, you know, I kind of came up collaborating with a bunch of really great people in the hospitality and creative uh, and entertainment industries. And um, I created this company in 2018 called Coact. It's a, it's a company to act and work together. That's what the word means. Um, And it's all about Uh, sort of storytelling, marketing, advertising with really great um, clients in the food space, but also, uh, you know, in in lifestyle, um, luxury, like United Airlines and Maserati and some fun accounts that we get to play with uh, in the storytelling space. Um, So that one is really fun as well, because a lot of times with restaurants, it's super creative and exciting and personable, but there's a lot of commitment around consistency. And I think I'm sort of wired to, a lot of times, <laughs> uh, like to explore inconsistently and inconsistency and explore, um, you know, sort of breaking things and trying things differently um, and being a little disruptive and and innovative. And a lot of times, um, you know, when you're in a creative agency, you can just be you know, nutty and, and try try things that are, you know, it's almost have to try things that are, are are absurd. So that's where I that's where I get to um, you know, really do awesome experimental stuff. So I'm I'm really digging that.
0: Yeah, I suppose if you did the same ad campaign, for example, over and over <laughs> again, that would not be great. Right.
1: Right. right. And it's and, and like similar to someone in a restaurant seat. Um, you know, they who demands their dish to be the same every single time they come and they should. Uh, I, I think it'd be weird if people out in the world expected every ad campaign to be the exact same or else they would not, they reject it. Uh, it's actually the opposite. They, they expect, they expect inconsistency as opposed to consistency, which is a cool place to play. If you can play in both, it's, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah. And, and, and you have, I'm sure capable people working in your restaurants who know how to Oh do
1: yeah, I can't do anything. I'm completely useless. I have no skills in both Sunda and Coact, I mean, the the most amazing um people and leaders are just sort of the driving force. I mean, I I I um, you know, definitely took elements from my upbringing whether it's from the Southeast Asian side with my mom from the islands of Philippines. We were back and forth my entire life. Every time we'd go to the Philippines, we'd stop in other countries, cultures, trying all, uh, you know, the different things we can get our hands on, whether it was in people's homes, restaurants, or street food. Uh, and then of course that evolution and modernization of sort of that <clears throat> over time really became a lot of um, what Sunda's about. And then just not... Uh, having money working in restaurants as a kid putting myself through college uh law school and then needing more money and working the late shifts at nightclubs um really taught me how to uh, network and communicate and collaborate to make bigger things happen which is what CoAct is so um there's there's been a lot of um of you know maybe the initiation for me but these days there are real amazing folks that make the magic happen. It's definitely not me.
0: <laughs> so how, as a, a young uh, uh, kid of a Filipina, and I think on your dad's side, you're Eastern European, right? That's why your last name is Deck?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Which doesn't sound Filipino at all.
1: That's right, that's right. The uh, My mom's maiden name is Bumanglag which is a very traditional Filipino name. Many Filipino names uh, are sometimes Spanish uh, oriented or uh, other, because there's been a lot of you know, um, colonizers over time and uh, a lot of influences, um, which you see not only culturally, but from a culinary perspective as well. Um, but yeah, so my mom is um, from the islands of the Philippines and you were saying, how does a kid, what?
0: Right. Thank you for letting me finish my question. I tend to get distracted and, uh, you know, ask multiple questions at once. And then, like, what, what do you say? So you grew growing up in Chicago and working in restaurants to make money and, and went to law school. I didn't know you went to law school. Uh, so if you want to talk about that, you can. But to finish the, uh, the sentence, how would you end up owning restaurants and becoming that kind of an entrepreneur?
1: Well, they're actually intertwined with the law school story. So started just really interested in the restaurant industry in sixth grade. My parents opened up a Chinese restaurant in an up and coming area um, in Chicago. And I got to see what it's like working in the Kochek, which is actually fascinating because you see people right when they get there. And you feel the energy, the anticipation, and and then uh, you see them at the end. And they're usually much different. They're either, you know, a little, um, you know, they're super pleased or they're maybe they're not or they're whatever. And it's just like, cool, I was fat, infatuated with whatever happened in the middle. And then so after the co-check, they let me out and do other things, whether it was a busser and whatever. So <clears throat> I used uh, a lot of that to make money and put myself through college. I had to pay for college. Um and then law school and um, became a lawyer eventually. But during law school, I needed um, more money. And I figured out a way, you weren't really allowed to have jobs um, in your first year of law school. Uh, So my workaround, because I needed money, was that I figured out a way in which to actually open up my own little nightclub in an old defunct pizza restaurant that was going out of business, which is like a worse idea because then you're an owner uh, of, you know, in the hospitality industry, which is like a million jobs instead of one. But somehow I did that and it really took off. Um, Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of things I was really bad at. uh, And operations was one of them at the time, but was really good at networking and marketing and packed these nightclubs so that every year I was able to open up a new nightclub. And so at the end of law school, became a lawyer. Thank God I passed the bar on the first try or else I don't think I've ever, I ever would go back. And I was struggling. Uh, I was, I was terrible at being a lawyer and owning nightclubs. I had to choose. I, I was hospitality or, um, and we had food at the, at the nightclub. So um, I just was bad at both. I had to choose. And so I had all these great advisors around me and it was really important to look inside and, decide what kind of person I was and what I really liked and enjoyed and was good at and all those sorts of things and what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, all. and we, it came down to, I really liked to make people happy. And I really liked to solve problems quickly. And those were two things that lawyers did not do, but they are two things that hospitality folks did. And so I made a decision to leave um, my very brief, I mean, months uh, career as as a lawyer and and to just solely focus on building a hospitality company um, and 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 that's how that's how I I began to transition immediately right after that into full blown restaurants.
0: What kind of law are you practicing?
1: <laughs> I well, I started, you know, thinking I was going to be like some superhero saving people. And, you know, I watched, you know, the OJ trials were going on back in the day. And so like, I was super, they have all these law shows that were like super intense. And I thought I was going to like, you know, maybe be an FBI agent or something like that. But, um, I learned really quickly that, um, you know, a lot of what lawyers were doing, which is, you know, I'm not knocking lawyers, but, um, I liked value creation. I like making people happy. Like I said, so I stayed sort of in this realm of like contractual business and real estate law because I found that I was building value, making people happy, as opposed to arguing.
0: One well, also that is the perfect kind of law degree you want if you're running restaurants, I would think. Like you can read the hell out of a contract or a lease or anything like that.
1: Yes, and the strategy behind the actual sort of. The analysis and then the sort of road forward um, is always a tough one. It's a tough one for everybody, and it's a tough one to rely on another person, even if they're an attorney. So I think it was very helpful to be able to have an understanding and a point of view and a conversation with a lawyer as to what I really thought needed to happen. Um, and, you know, the world, but also hospitality, especially is riddled with issues, problems, obstacles. And I think being calm in the storm is a really important thing for restaurateurs and other folks, um, well, entrepreneurs in general, uh, people in general, just it's a, it's, it's a, it's a skill that, um, you know, is helpful if you can be calm in the storm and sort of analyze. And And I really think Uh, sort of law school put that pounding on me pretty hard at a really the worst time in my life Um, from a you know just a family standpoint and other things Um, it it was it was a pounding that like I don't think uh, I would ever give up as rough as it was because it really helped me sort of navigate some really tough tough waters which I I know everyone's going through so yeah (laughs)
0: Uh, yes well and being calm we've we've had a what, three-year storm now going on, and uh, being calm during that is certainly useful. Uh, And probably hard for someone like you because you're a very high-energy person. And I imagine also, like many restaurant people, maybe a little uh, easily distracted. I don't want to diagnose you with ADHD because I'm not able to do that. (laughs) But a lot of people in the industry are uh, uh, good at multitasking, let's say.
1: Yeah. And yeah
0: not always focused on one thing
1: yeah it was really tough because when we were shut down and then of course in cities like chicago shut down much longer and multiple times um than than others it was the worst it was worse for everyone i mean for me i thought i could solve this on behalf of like you know our team and and maybe so many i dove into You know, every single document out there, I dove into everything. I was like, I'm a lawyer, I should figure this out. But it kept changing. It was very confusing. A lot of things were happening. We got looted in Chicago. We like, you know, family heirlooms were broken. Our security cameras caught everything. It was just horrible. Um, And we, you know, just one after the other, you know, buildings were evacuated. Pipes burst. Everything was ruined in our place, we were shut down and insurance wouldn't pay because they just figured we'd close anyway. Probably a story that many others have have, have gone through. Um, And you're just sort of stuck. Like you said, a guy like me, I like to, um be communicative and collaborate and be around folks and it was like we were just i just felt caged for a moment with a lot of folks depending on us what i did was i channeled that energy into a new kind of movement that we called sunda service and we just started serving the hospitality industry it started with 100 meals a week and it got up to 500 a night um i used my background of relationship building communicating with companies Fundraising, And I started getting money from foundations to like buy the product and, and really, and then our team would like donate and do all the work and then go out into the communities and pass it out. Nashville started to recover quickly for the hospitality industry, but their music industry was down. So all the touring ecosystem of uh, stage folks, lighting, songwriters, whatever, we we started feeding them weekly. And it still goes on to this day. Um, So, which is cool. I mean, out of really tragic situations sometimes you know blossoms pretty neat things and um you know from a business from a, from a philanthropic standpoint we're still doing it we just um you know brought uh, 150 meals that i grew up on um as comfort food from the islands of the philippines to to schools underserved schools um the month month before that we were out in the park um feeding 300 um sort of homeless folks um and some veterans and it's just cool stuff so i mean just it's just nice to be able to Kind of help and storytell, so that came from that. That's how I channeled that energy, and then I also just cut against the grain, man. I I I was like at one point just stop. I was just tired of fighting fires, and then I stopped doing TV and stuff in 2020. I just decided 21 was a new year. I started again. All of these emails came to me from developers, and I just cut against the grain. Started a 20 million dollar fund to open up more sundas. and that's kind of the road that we're on now. So it sort of it sort of was okay you know, where's the opportunity in the storm because you can't just get beat up and and just sit here. So, so, so to your point, we try to take the energy and just re re rewire it into different forms of, of, um, value and, and helpfulness. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's crazy looking back. It was, it, I mean, it's, and there's still the effects, but, uh, But yeah, we we just tried to, you know, and I think I give, you know, I mean, just seeing my mom and my Lola, my grandma from the Philippines that um, is in this documentary, by the way, which we should totally talk about, that's coming out. um, You know, I look at what they've gone through and how they turned this, um, you know, really tough um, circumstances that they sort of, you know, always grew up with in the Philippines and how they sort of, you know, sacrifice so much to come here and to create this opportunity, you know, that, that really stuck with me because we were working on the doc during that time. In fact, we were supposed to premiere May 1 of 2020 on PBS okay. nationally for Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And it got delayed because we couldn't, we couldn't be in the editing room, um, so all these things happen and thank goodness it's all out now and it's, it's playing in festivals uh, across the country, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about this film, which is called food roots, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I randomly and sadly had two of my last elders die on the same day and I just dropped everything uh, in 2019. I I just left and I just went to go learn the recipes, of my ancestors because I I felt like I didn't know Enough. I know a lot of the greatest hits from, you know, Filipino cuisine that a lot of mainstream folks may or may not have come in contact with, but there are real deep um, relationships that I never got to really explore Um, and recipes, family recipes in the Philippines, uh, like so many other things are passed down through story, which are passed down through relationship and not being there being here, um, one separated me, but more importantly, I think the pressures of growing up Filipino or ethnic or half, half in, in, uh, you know, in America sort of causes one to try to fit in and try to be part of the, of the mainstream. And in doing so in, you know, whatever's being celebrated at the time, maybe it's, pizza bagels or you know uh pop tarts or whatever it is um after school snacks like i had different after school snacks that kids you know sort of made fun of and you would you push away um and so that was like sort of a lot of guilt you know especially owning restaurants that serve filipino food and and great filipino food but not my full-blown you know recipes my ancestors so so we went out on that um journey uh i'd filmed in the philippines before on some other occasions and so i grabbed those these these i call them kids but like these renegade you know film crews and we just they just followed me and i just and i and it turned out all this stuff happened uh things that i would never imagine as most things do if you go back in time and you learn from your family what the recipes are and why it was cooked um, what happened at those meals, who did what and when you, you start to learn about your heritage, you know, your DNA and all these amazing things that really gave me a lot more, um, you know, comfortability, excitement, pride in my, in my, in, you know, in my identity and, and who I am. And, um, <clears throat> it just, it's just really, uh, an awesome, an, an awesome film because a lot of cool things happen. A lot of bad things happen. Um, uh, but that's life. And, um, I, I hope you enjoy it. I think I, it was really cool that I found a Filipina director named Michelle Houseway who did um, uh, Matthew Shepard as a friend of mine and Happy Jail and Netflix and a bunch of other things. But she grew up Filipina-American um, in the U.S. and knew the journey and knew what those pressures felt like. And then this executive producer who won three Oscars, um, you know, uh, is Doug Blush was just like, had filmed in Asia and knew um, great storytelling that had not been told yet from the Philippines and and really emotionally fell in love with this situation that I don't want I don't want to spoil, but um some really sort of hard things happen as they do with everyone and and it's just a it's a journey story that's really cool. Um, and it's and it's food, you know, it's food leading to your story, your roots, your 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 real identity. Um, and I think if everyone, and I, and I, you know, I, I was appointed by the president in 2014 to serve as advisor for the president's uh, advisory commission for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and the white house bullying prevention task force. And when we went and traveled the country with this bullying prevention task force, speaking to kids, um, we, we realized that, you know, that abuse of an imbalance of power really had a lot to do with lack of content or, or, you know, content that wasn't really, um, You know, accurate. And it, it, that, that really caused a lot of um, unknowns or dislikes or things that played out. And it was really our job, I felt, to start inspiring people to create more content that was very diverse. And what I thought this could do was inspire you and everyone to go, well, what are, what are my ancestor recipes? Like, what, you know, what is my heritage about related to food? And if I go back in time and I begin to bring, if everyone brought back these, these colorful stories, I mean, the world would just be, you know, um, much more colorful and diverse and and there'd be a lot more acceptance and maybe even celebration around difference. And so um, I think, I think, you know, I hope I, I just, I'm really happy it worked out because like a lot of things, including restaurants and dreams in general they don't always work out and so for us to finally be premiering at all these film festivals um is a really cool thing and i hope people check it out
0: so you said something interesting about bullying and lack of content and the way that sounds to me is if you have a sense of where you're coming from then if someone talks trash about you you don't like fuck them like you already know who you are and where you come from so you don't care about them. Is that what you're talking about?
1: Yes. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to do a lot of good. If when you do feel comfortable with yourself or you just know your reality, if you begin to share it, or if we get everyone to share it, then the storyline, the noise becomes more celebratory around colorful diversity, where those that are struggling to find comfort, or acceptance, are able to feel more comfortable in an environment that is, you know, not black and white, you know, not you know, in or out, you know, not so divisive because there's just so much diversity that they begin to say, Oh, my differences are part of that, you know, unique celebration as well. So, so yes, um, the fact that you, you know, if we can do that, that's amazing, right? Because you've saved one other person. But if you are you know having that sort of confidence to be able to be like, you know I don't need to eat a pop tart yeah or or fall victim to the um to the, the you know this the, the scary ramifications of bullying um you know that's awesome for you and and that's amazing and but now how can you you know how can we?" exponentially multiply that and that's that's coming out of that you know five years with the bullying prevention task force i i was always like racking my brain i was like how do we get this to happen organically and so i went to the philippines when my two elders passed on my own but as i was going i was like but wait maybe this should be just filmed in case there's something that because i'm a hypocrite if i don't share my reality you know what i mean um and so so that's where that came from
0: uh, and where in the Philippines is your family from? Because it's big and, and very diverse. Yeah,
1: 7,641 islands. As and well. um, most of my family right now is in Quezon City, which is quite close to Manila, Makati. Um, and then uh, as we tracked the family heritage, it really goes north. So in Debaggio and then up into an area called Alokosur. Um, So uh, that also is in sort of that, that journey in the dock, which is very cool.
0: And I imagine there's just a whole bunch of different food customs that you were like, what, what is that, and why, and where did it in, in,
1: Incredible, that? incredible um, food customs, and really the why behind the recipes. I think were really beautiful. I mean, you know, um, things that I thought perhaps they grabbed from the market before, but they were like, no, we we just got it right over there, and we just were in the rice fields earlier, and you know, as the kids were picking up. Uh, you know, things in the rice fields, they have a little separate bag where they were putting um, sort of the snails that were part of this one particular dish. Um, you know, the, the, the history behind a particular dish that my Lola made when she worked in a boarding house for um, these law school students, which by the way, my Lola Monaco was, was a, a law school student and a lawyer. I, I never got to get to know him because um, he passed early, but um, that sort of inspired me. I got his name, um, my, middle, my middle name is Monaco. Uh, which was his name, <clears throat> but she, they fell in love over this dish. And it's just awesome to hear about this dish. And there was the actual plates, these wooden plates from so long ago that we were, you know, cooking on and, and eating on. But it's just interesting, you know. And then the history sort of ties in. It's like, well, the English were there, you know, sort of occupying. And they brought some, you know, uh, Indian uh, folks and culture and and dishes, but they didn't have the ingredients. So they kind of, instead of a curry, they went to the market and they got this peanut sauce and they created it from scratch. And it becomes this thing called Kari Kari that brought your grandparents together. That made your mom, that made you. And this is like, what? You know, Uh, so it's just cool. And, you know, we're serving that for Filipino American History Month. Um we you know we we do a lot of off off the menu things um that you know come from the Philippines uh from this stock, which is cool and apart from specials
0: <laughs> has what you learned in the Philippines has that been translated at all into the food at San Asian?
1: yeah, one of my favorites um that we do uh is this you know command feast I know uh other folks might have um you know, heard of this, but it's essentially, you know, we do like a 30 foot banana leaf lined table with this procession of chefs that come out with like all the rice and all the, you know, crispy pata, shrimp, uh, chicken adobo, you know, mangoes, dragon fruit. You just you get 15, 16, 17 different things. And it becomes something that everyone gathers around and eats with their hands, which is kamai in Tagalog, which is why they call it Kamaya. Um, I just think it's amazing during COVID, we um had to discontinue those. It was, were always sold out. And we went to a butcher block or a you know chef block format where you get one private one for your table, you know, which is cool. Um, and you get all these things. So it's literally a taste of the Philippines and sort of a um, you know, backpacking trip through the Philippines all in one, you know, butcher's block of, this, you know, tremendous amount of food. That's really cool. And there's so many influences. You know, you're doing a Chinese-inspired egg roll, or you have this sort of Spanish, you know, inspired Longanisa sausage, or you, it's just, it's, it's really a fun moment. I actually go to the table whenever I can with it because I'm so excited to tell all the stories. Um, and there's so many other stories behind it that I think are fascinating that we we talk about in the documentary and, and at Sunda all the time. Um, that I know people share. Uh, because I've had people come in and they, they know parts of the story. They're like, wow, that's such a random portion of the party. You know, they're like, I heard that, you know, the Spanish implement made people use forks and knives. And then when they were there for 400 years and that this was a secret meal behind the scenes, you know, uh, that only family shared with people they trusted, you know, so we brought our friends and family that we trust and we were having the trust, the trust meal. <laughs> and I'm like, that, you know, that's crazy, but that's kind of true. That's a pretty true situation. And, um, you know, it's just cool. That's one of my favorite
0: Weird thing for the Spanish to obsess about. Yeah. Although, you know, you see people eat with their hands and you're not accustomed to it. It's it's a little weird. And eating with your hands isn't easy. It's something that, uh, like, when I started eating with my hands, it might have been West African food, might have been Indian. I don't know. Like, it, it drips down your arm and it's hard to get it in your mouth. Like, it's actually harder than you think, especially since as, as babies, we did it all the time, sitting in a high chair.
1: Or the world. At yeah. one point, the world all ate with their hands, and it's you know it's interesting that we've evolved to a point where um, it's uncomfortable for us, uh, or we look down upon it. Some right. people look down upon others, and it's 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 you know this again. These these are the storytelling moments. And the coolest thing about food is it brings people together in a way in which they um you know have a an excitement, a common place, like uh you know a, a a, a yearning to to like see it feel it taste it learn it so it's cool to see those differences but um but yeah i mean you know telling these stories kind of opens up the landscape of conversations because everyone's background i don't care if it's eastern european like there are so many fascinating things to talk about and you know if if we could inspire everyone to go back and pull some of that forward um you know there'd just be a lot more celebration acceptance and excitement in the world
0: yeah yeah Uh, and in, in this soundbite world that we live in, trying to actually dig a little bit deeper than something that you can say in 20 seconds is tricky, but (laughs) so, so rewarding. And and now I'm just sort of thinking out loud, doing that while you're eating means that you have more time to kind of talk about it because you're going to sit for at least 30 minutes, three hours and just have a meal and share and talk and eat and and talk about the food. All
1: of that the funny thing about the Khmayan meal is because you're eating with your hands and you're getting it, like you said, all over, people can't use their phones. So they uh-huh. actually have to look you in the eye and have conversations like you know forever until 10 years ago. <laughs>
0: wow, that's I never thought of that. That's genius. Otherwise you get crap all over your phone. That's just that's right. yeah. And your clothing as you try to reach in and grab your phone. Right. right. Yeah, I right. attended one of your Khamayans, when was it? Like 2019? 2018 something yes. like, during uh, year awards weekend i think
1: yes yeah i think that was 2018 19 something like that i think it was our 10-year anniversary of uh of sunday yeah in river north and now we're opening another one in fulton market oh um, yeah very soon so that one in the meatpacking district chicago fulton market um definitely a hot spot uh in chicago that um is really become, you know, almost uh, a a culinary epicenter city of its own. Um it's just really neat and exciting and we're we're excited to be there.
0: And you're also, you said expanding to point south. Yeah, we
1: opened Sunda Tampa uh just a couple months ago. And oh. it fascinating how that city has grown up because my entire life going to Southeast Asia to visit my mom's side, well, my dad's side was in Tampa. And so um, occasionally trying to escape the 20 below weather in the windy city, uh, we would sneak out and I would just like, you know, get some, get some warmth there. And I never thought I would, I literally listen people around the country that are saying, oh, that sounds, you know, St. Pete, uh, Tampa, that's, you know, that's not the culinary capital or whatever. Um, Tampa is a different city. And so is Saint Pete. Like, I, like there's like Saint Pete's hipster now, and has really cool. They both have really great restaurants. They've definitely a migration of so many from, um, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, around the world coming there um, post COVID, and it's just been awesome. And to bring and, and they and to bring fill, this type of food, uh, you sort of new Asian cuisine, elevated Asian, elevated Southeast Asian, uh, and these stories to that area has just been awesome. I mean it's it's just people are psyched and it's been crazy packed cuz the city's exploding. And so it's it's been really rewarding and fun. And the staff is so awesome. I don't know, I just I'm just really excited. That's cool.
0: Yeah, as as a New Yorker when I think of Central Florida, I don't think, you know, cultural diversity, but there really is a lot. I was in Orlando and instead of being at a theme park, I was downtown yeah listening to the different languages people were saying talking the 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 housekeepers and so on in my hotel I was like oh there's a Haitian there's a Spanish speaker like there really is it's a it's a different obviously cultural hodgepodge because every city has its own mix but yeah it's awesome
1: I I was at a table like two nights ago in Tampa and this woman was like "I, I just appreciate this comfort food that you're sharing with us it was the crispy pata and she goes there's you know there's another dish I'd love to you know have you try um love you for you to come over to my you know uh and have our grandma's uh version of this um and and she was like we're gonna make you a whole meal we're we're Colombian Cuban and I was like Wow, that sounds delicious. That sounds so delicious. And she's like, "Yeah, there's an entire community here, uh, you know, and and it, it's just it's very, it's very diverse. I mean, I, I it's I, I, I'm telling you, I know what people are saying. Um, but we came to Nashville. Like we were talking about going to Nashville ten years ago. We got here seven and a half years ago. People thought we were crazy then. Um, people thought we were crazy when we started talking about Tampa three years ago." Um, you know, and there's some new cities that we think are are the next sort of things that are going to pop that we're gonna go into and announce very soon as well.
0: You're not gonna announce them now, I have to wait.
1: I love you so much that I gotta give you something. Um, uh, because we go back. So I, I will tell you the city that I've got my eyes on big time that um we looks like we were about to wrap up, but you never know. Uh is I think Detroit's going through a renaissance moment and it's popping like crazy. I think the i know it sounds crazy especially as a chicago guy that was taught not to like detroit because of the pistons and the red wings but um but but like back from the bulls blackhawks days but um i i've been i've been studying different cities that are just like going through some crazy you know growth um moments and 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 detroit's about to just go nuts and and uh you'll hear about it more and more i know people like roll their eyes every time i say stuff like that but um yeah, and yeah, and I, I think a lot of New Yorkers are going to flood Detroit, by the way, from or at least restaurateurs. um, and, and, you know, so that's just my thoughts and predictions right there.
0: Yeah, you're it's, not the only one talking about Detroit. There's not at all. a lot of people kind of like, huh. and And now every city has an interesting food scene. Every city of more than, say, two, three hundred thousand people has an interesting food scene. Yes, so much opportunity and the real estate isn't all locked up and you're not competing with every other great restaurateur on the planet, as you are in some some of the bigger cities so like, yeah.
1: So I I think Tampa is a great example. Um, No one would have ever thought it but like uh, access to high volumes of growing folks in demos that like to go out. You have um, access to labor from all the folks moving there, um, especially the millennials and, and other and, and and even younger. Uh, and then you have um, you know property opportunity where you you can actually afford it. Um, you know because oh, it's tough, man. It's it's the, the restaurant industry is getting tough. I mean, there's a lot of increases and um, sadly seeing a lot of folks you know see that bottom line dwindle down to nothing and blow. And it's scary. It's tough.
0: Totally. Uh, what a dark note to end on. But so let's end on a nice note. <laughs> uh, food Roots, where can people yes yeah.
1: Well, I would go to foodrootsfilm.com. There you go. Um, just to get the list of, we're going to constantly update it with new film fests. Um My social media, which is just my name, Billy Deck. Um, I would love to know where people feel like we should bring the film. I don't want to just do the greatest hits I want to get into the nooks and crannies of like really great communities and I'll go there um and there's a lot of things to talk about afterwards uh that have a lot to do with what we talked about here everything from food to the white house bullying prevention task force to you know um there's themes of identity loss uh, mental illness and other things that um you know is part of life and uh and I think, you know, if anyone, if this resonates with anyone and, and they can always hit me on social, because um, I'd like to learn. I'd like to know, you know, where where to go with it. Uh, and then, yeah, um, SundaNewAsian.com is Sunda. And um, again, just appreciate you having having me on, man. This is, this is awesome.
0: I always love hanging out with you, Billy Deck, and I hope we get to do it in real life soon.
1: Real life. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it.
1: I love awesome. it, man. Thanks a lot.